It's episode 34 of the Rocktown Sports Pod. I'm your host, Jim Sacco, joined by Shane Metlin, JMU men's and women's basketball writer, plus Bridgewater College football guy. Shane, how are you today? Uh, doing pretty well. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's that time of year again, man. Uh, you got the email uh, from the Colonial Athletic Association let, asking you, hey, who are your, who's the best players in the CAA men's basketball and how are these teams finishing uh, how hard was it to vote this year, I guess, is question number one for you, Shane. Um, I'd say a little bit easier than last year after covering a beat for a full year at this point. Um, but it's still difficult just in terms of it's a pretty balanced league when you look across it. And, <clears throat> um, you know, just think about the players that were lost from this league last year. You know, I think I have called to Charleston as the – team to beat, and I think most people have that, but it's not quite as um, solid last year where I think you knew there was a top tier in this league, and then it was kind of a step below and everything, and you know there wasn't a whole lot of difference between number 10 and number 4. Um, but, you know, well, how to answer that question? Yeah, it, it's easier, <laughs> but it's also... A lot of guesswork at so, this point. So what, what is basically has happened is the, 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 the parity has made it tougher is what you're trying to say here? The parity is still there, but maybe not quite as good at the top, if you're, you're going to be honest about it. Like just, you know, the top players beyond maybe the top two aren't quite as good. The top two teams maybe aren't quite as good, but the parity is still there that, you know, one through seven, eight, this is a pretty tough league as far as night in, night out, not really knowing who's going to beat who. So it's a, it's top heavy. Yeah, to to some degree, but at the same time, I mean, last year. Okay, let's let's take a look back at last year please, where please. JMU goes into that final week of the season with a chance to finish tied for second in the conference. There, it was that jumbled up, and then they lose to two teams that, you know, on paper, you look at JMU as probably should have been a tier, you know, a step above an Elon or a William and Mary, but just based on matchups and everything, any of those games were kind of just up for grabs every night, you know, in that conference where, you know, JMU is a team that, you know, beats Hofstra and beats Charleston. They beat these top tier teams in the league and then they lose to those two teams that are kind of finishing towards the bottom and it sinks them a little bit in the standings uh, when you look at that. It's going to be similar this year, but at the same time, you look at what a team like Elon lost, what a team like William & Mary lost. I think there's a definite bottom of this conference, whereas last year anybody was beating anybody on a given night. How do you, I guess let's just, let's just jump into teams. How do you, how, how did you, how do you see this CAA, uh, the 2019-2020 season uh, finishing team-wise? Okay, I'll go down my list. I've got College Charleston number one, which you look at all the preseason magazines, the podcast, all, all the, you know, nationally, the preseason stuff. Everybody's picking Charleston with, you know, Grant Riller, especially coming back as, you know, one of the top players in the conference. Um, Earl Grant, that coach, just has things going. We, we've talked about this before. JMU wants to get to a point where they're like Charleston, where, you know, they're playing some guys as freshmen and sophomores and they're getting some minutes, but then they're ready to really take that step up when they're a junior. And you're going to see that this year, even with the guys that they lost. Some guys are going to, you know, move up just in the system. It's the next man up mentality that they talk about in football all the time. They've really got that going at Charleston. Hofstra have got number two. Um, Eli Pemberton coming back. Desir Bowie's coming back. Uh, they've got some talent, even though they're losing Justin Wright Foreman. 
uh, it's going to be a pretty balanced team there. And another one of those programs where, you know, Coach Joe Mihalik just kind of has things going, rolling, and has people ready to step up year in, year out. Usually he gets a transfer or two that ends up, you know, contributing and doing a good job for them. Uh, I got Delaware number three, which probably going to be higher than some people have them. Uh, but you pay attention to what they did in the Bahamas. They had a little overseas trip this summer, and they had three transfers come in that are going to be eligible that really, really played well in that trip. Uh, you know, Dylan Painter from Villanova among that group who – you know, I didn't put him on my all-conference team, which we're going to get to. I was going to say, hang on, hang point. on, we'll get to that. Yeah, I didn't have him on there um, because he's a transfer who hasn't really done anything in this conference. But don't be surprised if by March he is an all-conference player. And Where did he know, come from? Uh, from you, Villanova. From Villanova, you said yeah, that already? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you look at those transfers, plus, you know, a couple guys they have him back, even losing a guy like Ithiel Horton in the middle of the summer, which was a surprise and a disappointment to Delaware. I think they're going to be one of the top teams in the conference. Northeastern, fourth, they lost, you know, a lot of talent. You know, Vasa Pasika, Sean Ophius, some of those guys that were, you know, really good players in this conference for a while. But another one of those situations where you just don't bet against Coach Bill Cohen in this conference. You know, they're always going to be competitive. Um, so I've got them fourth and JMU fifth, and you know right there in the middle. Um, you, you look at JMU, I could see them finishing a little bit higher. That you know I picked them sixth last year, and they didn't quite get to that point. Um, but with the guys they have coming back, you would expect them to be in the top half of this conference, and you know potentially have a winning record in the league. I think is kind of you know where the expectation ought to be going in right now. Is it a reachable expectation? I think so. Yeah, and you know. Some people might say we've made excuses for them in the past, or they've made excuses for themselves in the past few years. But this is the year they've been kind of building to. You know, it's the first year where Lou Rowe has a roster that's his guys that he's had a chance to kind of put together in place in places where he wants guys. You know, you look at you know his first recruiting class where he brings in you know some transfers, and that was just a matter of I got to get. Division one talent in here right now, and whoever's available, I've got to take. These are guys that he brought in because, like, they play the way he wants to play, and it's going to be really his team for the first time, I would say, you know, that you should start kind of judging him maybe more harshly on the wins and losses as opposed to, you know, the strides that they've made. Um, I got JMU coming in just ahead of Towson, who brings back, you know, Brian Fobbs who's going to be one of the best players in this conference. I don't know if they're going to have the depth of some of these other teams, but, you know, their best players can go with just about anybody in this league. Um, and then that's where I think you kind of see the divide between these are teams that are good, and I wouldn't be surprised if any of them make a run in this conference to, you know, you look at a UNC Wilmington, lost some guys to transfer. I got them seventh. They have Kai Taos coming back at point guard, who I really, really like. Um, but I just don't know if they have enough to really be one of the better teams in this conference. Drexel, uh, common theme, hit hard by transfers. Yeah. You know, they, they lose and some you've, guys. Touched, you've touched on that yeah. all, all offseason, really. Yeah, yeah. They lose some guys. I just don't see them having, you know, enough talent and depth to, you know, really get it done. And then, you know, William & Mary, uh, 
what were they what were they thinking down there? In all honesty, I mean, you, you touched on this in, in, in tweets and on the pod before. I mean, what were they thinking down there? Yeah, and I I've touched on it, and I am not alone. And people who follow and cover this conference, what were they thinking? The timing of firing Tony Shaver when you know he's the best coach you've ever had in that program, and he never made the NCAA tournament, but. Neither has anybody else in the history of William & Mary. And it looks like the stars were getting ready to align for that yeah. team a little bit. D- Here's trivia for you. Do you know how many uh, programs and coaches over the past f- six years have won at least ten games in conference every year? One. Yes, and he got fired this <laughs> offseason. <laughs> and, you know, given that they were going to have, you know, five guys back, um, you know – when they fired Tony Shaver and a bunch of guys announced they were looking to transfer and the North Carolinas and the Northwesterns of the world are pouncing on these guys immediately saying, we that tells, want these that guys. That tells you something. Yeah, and, you know, they they would have been the favorites in the conference, I think, you know, without a doubt. And now I've got them ninth, which is because where pretty much everybody's going to have them this year. If not for Elon and if not for <laughs> Nathan Knight, Exploring the NBA draft and deciding his best option was to come back and finish school at William and Mary. It would have been a really ugly season for you know William and Mary going forward. But uh, you look at Elon; they've got a new coach, Mike Scraggi. It's just a little difficult to pronounce, not the way you would think you want to pronounce it. But um, coming in from Butler, he's been at Ohio State. Um, he's going to do well there. I mean. Eventually, it's but you can't time. judge him on what he's doing this year. I mean, he went in and immediately kind of took their recruiting to another level. Uh, but it's just not, they lose Stephen Santana, they lose, you know, Dryling. They're not going to be anywhere near as good as they were last year, and they were towards the bottom of the conference last year. They were one of those teams that competed every night, but it's going to be a rebuilding process there, and I think it's going to happen quickly, but it's just not going to happen this year for Elon. They're, they're number 10 on, I think, most people's ballots. Player wise, who's your who's your who's your preseason? Do, do you name a preseason player of the year? You rank them in order, and your number one counts as your player, is your of, the player year of the year. And Let, um, let's go bottom up then. You okay. what do you rank? Eight, ten, ten, ten. ten. So Start. You, you do a first and second team. Basically. Give me your ten. Ten. I have Darius Banks from JMU. Um, he's going to be borderline about whether or not he makes the you know second team on this. Uh, he's in some of the preseason magazines. He is. Some he's not. Um, you look at his scoring. Averages and he's kind of you know there. Uh, I tend I did this last year and I did it this year too. I'm gonna value defense as much as I can on my ballot, and uh, you know he didn't end up making the all defensive team last year. But being somebody who saw every team in the conference play, he was one of the top five defenders in the league. You look at what he did against like, a guy like Jarrell Brantley, where you know Darius is a guard in a guard's body, and they ask him the guard. You know, one of the most powerful power forwards in the country, a guy who, you know, goes in and tears up the NBA Summer League. Uh, I think I tweeted it during a Summer League game when Jarrell Brantley was scoring like 20 points and just dunking on people that, like, you watch this game and you really appreciate the defensive game that, you know, Darius Banks had against him to, you know, basically shut him down here at the Convocation Center, you know, last year. So I've got him on my. On my uh, second team all-conference, basically, kind of filling out that last spot. Got Ryan Allen from Delaware uh, and Asir Bowie 
from Hofstra, Cameron Winter, and then Jordan Rowland. I had him in my number six spot, kind of the first spot and the second team for me. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes first team when all the ballots are in um, from Northeastern. He's he's a good player, really good athlete, and he's going to get an opportunity to kind of shine on this Northeastern roster this year. Um, you know, last year he was the kind of guy who might put up 30 one night and then seven or eight for a couple nights in a row. Um, he's going to get opportunity to kind of take over the offense this year, I think, at Northeastern. Um, so then, you know, I go through uh, the first team. I got Matt Lewis as my number five player on the first team. He and Roland and a few other guys, they're going to be those borderline first team guys. You know, they might make it, they might need second team, but they're, they're going to be on this all-conference coming off, you know, his – third team showing last year uh but you look at it he's the fourth leading scorer returning in the CAA this year um played some of his best games and some of the biggest moments um and he's going to be the number one option for the JMU team offensively so I would expect him to put up some big numbers this year and he's just you know I feel like he's an all-conference player just that's kind of the bottom line for me putting him on the first team I've also got Brian Fobbs who we mentioned before when we talked about Towson uh, another big time scorer who just you know he's he's a power forward's body, but except for being six four instead of uh, six eight, <laughs> but, you know, he he kind of just you know will really take it to the hole and is basically impossible to stop. Those are my favorite kind going. of players. Yeah, those are my favorite kind of players. Yeah, yeah, and you know since we're talking from a JMU perspective. He's that's a Lewis Rose favorite kind of player yeah. too. When oh, you yeah. talk about you know he he talked to me once uh, in the off season about you know a recruit and one of the things he said to me is like he's a Towson type guy. He he loves those guys who like <laughs> you know will make some contact, absorb some contact, and really play play tough you know in the paint even if they're a guard. Um, so I had Brian Fobbs and um, Eli Pemberton third on my ballot. Don't be surprised if he you know, goes off this year. He He's a guy who put up big offensive numbers, even though he was not getting a ton of shots when he's playing alongside Justin Wright Foreman, who he'll share, Justin Wright Foreman shared the ball. He had a lot of assists last year, but he's also going to take, you know, 20, 25 shots yeah, he's a gonna, game. He's going to put his shots up. That good of a player. So you look at him, you know, don't be surprised if his not, offensive numbers just kind of go through the roof, um, being the number one option on a team that's going to get up and down the floor like that. And then... Number one, number two, that's the debate. That's going to be the debate in the conference. Drum roll, please. Yeah, who, who's the player of the year? Because it really, it comes down to Nathan Knight at William & Mary and Grant Riller at Charleston. They're, you know, you look at two guys who averaged more than 20 points a game last year who could, you know, pretty much unstoppable offensively and do it on both ends of the court. Uh, I got Nathan Knight as my player of the year, number one, and Riller number two, um, you know, you want to sit down and argue with me and try to convince me to change my mind, I might do it because it's it's that close between the two. But when you look at Nathan Knight, what he did last year as a scorer, a rebounder, a shot blocker, um, somebody who stretches the floor and everything, and you look at the load he's going to carry for William yeah. Mary this year, Goodness that kind of was my, you know, that's how I kind of made the uh, decision to. It's going to be all him basically, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, in a coaching change or not, I mean, he's still going to be the focal point of that team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see William Mary. They're gonna, it's going to be a little bit of a uh, twin tower type of situation. They've got a transfer from Wisconsin, who I think will make an impact in this league. Maybe won't be a superstar, but a seven footer uh, named uh, Van Vliet from Wisconsin. He's also 
where is he from? He's from overseas. He might be Dutch, but um, he, it'll be interesting to see that have two guys who are basically seven footers playing alongside each other, which you, you don't see a lot in college basketball these days. No, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, I, I'll put you on the spot then. I mean, I know you don't vote for a rookie of the year, but I mean, do you know? If I ask you right now, if you know enough to give me who's some possible rookies of the year in the CA, could you answer that question? Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, Michael Christmas here at JMU is going to have a real shot at it. Um, Charleston's got a couple guys. Um, it'll probably come down between, you know, Michael Christmas and a couple of guys from Charleston. They're the highest recruited players in the conference. They're, you know, good. But from, you know, a little, a little bit, I guess, of a local bias just because I've seen, you know, Michael Christmas play some this offseason. He looks like a legitimate CAA player already like he will put up good numbers he'll play a lot of minutes so you know if I had to pick one I'd go with him right now ask me again in February we'll, ask you we'll, in we'll, February. we'll make sure we do <laughs> this is Shane Metlin JMU men's and women's plus Bridgewater College football, football writer uh here at the Daily News Record I'm Jim Sackle the host of the Rocktown Sports Pod Shane real quick uh you're gonna be at uh you're gonna be at Bridgewater Saturday where they're gonna go for a 4-0 start when they uh Host Southern Virginia in the ODAC. Uh, real quick, how about those Eagles? I mean, Michael Clark uh, seems to really have him rolling in in, uh, in year 25 of his reign. Yeah, they're off to an incredible start. Um, you look at their total stats, and it doesn't even tell the story because they're just not running the score up on people. Um, you want to see how dominant they've been. They've outscored opponents 78 to nothing in the first, first half. half. Not a single the first games half are, The games are over at halftime for them. Yeah, you know, they did allow Stevenson, who is a very good team, to get back in within, you know, a couple scores in the second half, but they were in control the whole way. And then dominated the other two games, just absolutely dominated them. Um, they were over at halftime. Um, you're good. They're going against a Southern Virginia team, though. That's a little bit of a surprise here. It is. The it is. They're 2-0. and oh. First year won, in the ODAC, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, they've won uh, relatively easy. They're, they're sort of, I guess, in the uh, Bridgewater spot from last year where pick to finish last. But off to a good start, looking a little better than you expect. They've got a really good running game. So uh, I'm going to talk to uh, Ed Matulalo, I think is Close how enough. you pronounce it. Close yeah. enough. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow, I believe, uh, get a little preview going for uh, that game, uh, know a little bit more about Southern Virginia after that. But it, I I think in here at one point I said, oh, they should be 4-0. You did. When they get into the you meat did. of their, of their uh, ODAC schedule. They might be getting into the meat of the ODAC schedule a week earlier than I thought, and, you know, 4-0 might not be a given at this point. No, and, and that's a good start for Michael Clark over there and the rest of the Eagles, and uh, Shane will be at that game Saturday. You can follow him on Twitter at Shane underscore, or is it Metlin underscore? Right? Shane. Shane underscore yeah. DNR Sports on Twitter. Shane, as always, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us on the Rocktown Sports Pod. And we're going to go ahead and bring in Greg, uh, who's going to talk some JMU football and a great story that's going to be taking place this weekend, Saturday, when the Dukes head down to Elon, former home of first-year JMU coach Kurt Signetti. Well, that was Shane Metlin talking some JMU men's and women's basketball. Well, mostly men's, actually. Uh, and now everyone's a fan favorite of the Rocktown Sports Pod, JMU football writer Greg Medea. Greg, uh, you're, you're, you're a man... You're a man of the road, or at least you have you will you were this past weekend, and you will be the next two weekends. Yeah, uh, just like the Dukes on the road. Uh, <laughs> let's let's put it that way. When as far south as, as beautiful Chattanooga, Tennessee, 
Uh, that's a far drive. That's a uh, long drive. It doesn't look that far on a map, but then once you start going south and you start seeing signs for Birmingham and Atlanta, uh, me as, as a Jersey guy, I'm like, this is this is getting into the, the, the deep south of America. And you did not get a chance to see Ruby Falls or Rock City when you're in Chattanooga, which is, uh, I guess, a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I, I would say so. I wish I had a little more time to, to spend in Chattanooga, but, you know, got to work. Got to write the stories and fill the paper so that everybody can read about JMU. I did get to stop in Knoxville. Uh, saw the, the great Tennessee, University of Tennessee campus. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful I saw campus. a little bit of that. Beautiful. Uh, they had a nice Pat Summit statue I saw. Oh, I'm so you stopped, you stopped I, I by stopped, the statue? I stopped by good, the statue. Good. saw that. Uh, Neyland Stadium, it's large. It's a stadium. It's large and angry these days. That's a good way to describe yeah, Neyland yes, Stadium. Yes, so... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, back from Tennessee and then off to uh, North Carolina this weekend. And then Stony Brook the weekend after. At least I'll be able to get some bagels up there. Yeah. Get, some, get some bagels. Some, uh, you know. hint, hint, wink, wink. Bring yeah. some back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, that Chattanooga game, it was almost like a, you know, not to, not to use the old uh, cliche, it was a tale of two halves, if you will. Yeah, I really, I'll put it this way. I thought JMU was really the better team for all but five minutes of that game. Uh, the five, the last five minutes of the first quarter, Chattanooga woke up and made it a game. Uh, they they really played well, scored two touchdowns within I think what was it, twenty two seconds say of each other. Seconds, yeah. So that to me was like JMU. They were they were they came out of the gate really strong. Percy Ajayobase had this great touchdown run to start the game, bouncing off four or five defenders before finding the end zone, and then Jawan Hamilton had a run where he kind of just sprinted right past the Chattanooga defense, and all of a sudden Jamie's up fourteen nothing. Then Chattanooga gets those two touchdowns late in the first quarter, and it's a it's a ball game, and JMU faced some adversity. But uh, in the second half, and then they outscored Chattanooga twenty three to nothing from the second quarter on. But in the second half, when Chattanooga threatened to score to cut, uh, it, if if they would have scored on that drive in the third quarter, they would have cut JMU's lead from nine to nine points to two points. But D'Angelo Amos picked off the pass. That Tiano had intended for the end zone, and then that was that was it. Good night. The rest is history, yeah. as they say. Yeah. What are we learning about this team heading into CAA play now that the, the non conference slate is done? Yeah, I think offensively, Ben Denucci is pretty good. I think I think he's gotten rid of some of those problems he had last year. He looked eight touchdowns to one interception. He's really only made one bad throw all year. It was that in, the, in that week one loss at West Virginia. I think he's he's kind of the catalyst of the offense, and Signetti's going to let the offense run through him. They've been, I wouldn't want to say indecisive about a running back, but they finally seemed like they let the hot hand go this past week, and that was Percy, let him get over 100 yards. And he, he really carried that team in the second half, I think, and iced the game for JMU. So I think they wanted to get Percy going in that direction. They were able to do it. So now if you have Danucci going and you have a running back going that can carry the load, I think that's a very positive thing for them going into conference play. And then on defense, They've, they've, they're very good up front, with led by Rondell Carter and John Daka. And they have linebackers that can tackle Holloway in the middle, of course. And then in the back end, Amos is playing really good at safety. I think he's made some big-time improvements from last year at safety. Adam Smith is still an all-conference player. Uh, whether or not they get Rashad back when that happens, well, I'll ask Signetti today about it after practice. But uh, they, they're... They're good. I, I think they, they're kind of what we thought they'd be, and that's a pretty good football team. The Dukes are we the, who are they thought we were. Yeah. The, 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 the quote, the, yeah. The, the, the late great Dennis Green, of all people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't he pass away, I think? I think you're correct. Yeah, yeah. I think I am. Uh, so, I mean, 
we were kind of expecting them to come out of this. I mean, not, the record-wise, I think it's kind of as expected. Okay, they yeah. they lost to the FBS team. Uh, they've kind of, I mean, I guess you could say rolled the rest of the way through the not the rest of the non-conference mm-hmm. slate. Uh, how what kind of challenges is, is Elon gonna? I mean, here's a team that handed them their first loss of the Mike first home loss, see, home loss of the Mike Houston era last year. Uh, obviously, now the man who led that Elon team, Kurt Zignetti, is the first year coach at JMU. But it's almost the same Elon team, is it not? Yeah, same quarterback, Davis Cheek, same defensive players. Think about Marcus Willoughby off the edge, a defensive end for them. Uh, all those good running backs they have on offense as well. It's it's the same Elon team. They're not going to be intimidated. Uh, they they know that they can hang with JMU. They know they can play with JMU after doing it last year. I don't know if they're as good as the team JMU played last season, but it's it's a lot of the same personnel. It's it's different coaches on both sides, obviously, with Signetti moving on to JMU and Tony Tristiani, his former defensive coordinator, taking over. But uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the same other people involved. I think the one thing for JMU is they got to block Elon's three three defense pretty well. They, it, it was something they struggled with last year, and, and it forced Ben DiNucci into some mistakes. I think if they can figure out how to do that, and they should, knowing that Signetti knows that style of defense inside and out from having hired Trissiani to run it at Elon, I think they got to do that well this week. If they if they do that well this week, there'll be no problems, and Jamie will win this game. Now, you kind of preseason-wise, you kind of pointed at, at this three-game stretch as, you know, oh, you know, this is where we could see them, you know, stumble a little bit and maybe get that, get you know, get handed an L. Uh, you know, they, they go down to Chattanooga, they take care of business, they got Elon up next, and after that they got to go up to Stony Brook. I mean, has your opinion of this three-game swing changed at all? Do you still think that... I still think this is the toughest stretch of their schedule. Okay. I, I don't know if there's a loss here. I think JMU should win these three games, but... Uh, or they, they've already won one, they should win the next two. But it's still not easy to go on the road week after week. I mean, think about it. After this, the only after this stretch, they'll only have two more road games the rest of the year. So they're really playing them all in one chunk, and they're they're not against the easiest opponents. I think Elon is a game that Jamie's probably had circled on their schedule for quite some time, and I think, of course, that that Stony Brook is a team that's become one of the model programs in the CAA of how to create a consistent winner playoff contender. If you look at what Chuck Priori's done there, but Stony Brook. So this stretch still has its challenges, and and obviously Elon brings kind of a unique one just because of all the emotions, all the storylines involved. And then one of the storylines, <laughs> <laughs> and we've been we've been we've been sitting on this since what December, December, and, yeah. and which is really probably one of my favorite moments. And not that I try to pick and choose favorite moments of a presser because pressers are pressers; they tend to be boring and and pretty uh, non-eventful. But you know, we were both laughing at this one. Uh, and you got a story a bit about it in uh, Wednesday's paper coming up, and and I don't know, are you, is it going to be? Are you going to allude to it on the pod at all? The walk yeah, sure, this week? yeah, yeah. I can, I can, I can. I'll <laughs> probably play the quote on the walkthrough. <laughs> and uh, this is great because when he when he during during Kurt Signetti's introductory presser uh, when he when he switched out of uh, salesman mode and into Western PA mode, and the voice and the accent really came out. He talked about a pig story. And he was going to talk about it in front of everybody, and then he kind of looked at his wife, and his wife, I think, kind of shook her head a little bit, and he stopped. And then you and I got him uh, afterward. Got him afterward, yeah. and I think we both said, hey, you got to tell us this pig story. And, and Greg, just tell us this pig story. It's fantastic. Yeah, so at Elon, he was saying, they have you know this fantastic tailgate that they do. 
Uh, he said the Ilana, they have some diehard supporters. 7 a.m. guys, right? Yeah, guys there 7 a.m. early, whether the game's at noon or whether the game's at 7 o'clock at night. Uh, you got guys there tailgating all day, and every every part of their every week part of their tailgate is they roast a pig. So Signetti's telling this story about these these tailgaters, and he was like a little kid when he was it, telling the story. He was, he was just he was laughing like he was in trouble. Right, it was like he wanted to tell everybody <laughs> in the press conference, but but uh, Manette, his wife, put put the kibosh on it. You know, she so said no, not not today. Uh, but afterward, he's telling his story, and this is this is December, a few moment, a few, you know, a few days after he left Elon for JMU, he goes, you know, and, the, and you know, Manette was the first lady of that tailgate. You know, they always involved the coach's wife, and wife, and uh, not wives. <laughs> they always involved the coach's wife, and uh, you know, made her feel part of the part of the tradition, part of the program. Uh, so he was explaining that the pig that they roast is named always after the opposing team's coach's wife. So, Manette Signetti, in short, has gone from the first lady of the tailgate to the pig. The roasting pig. Oh, that's <laughs> And what I just, what, I mean, but what, what I always, and I think we laughed about it for days afterwards, was just the way he told the story. Like, he was getting in trouble. Like, he leaned in really close when he was telling us. And, she, and Manette was standing right next to us yeah, the whole time. Not, not too far away. Ca- yeah. Kind of laughing about it, shaking her head that she, he was telling us his story. But it was just the way he told it. It was like a 10-year-old kid telling us something that he wasn't supposed to tell us. And it was... Uh, that's great. That's that's college football, man. It is right. That is that is so college football. You, you got to think like there's nothing else in America that, that would happen, right? I mean, maybe a diehard Texas high school football story or, or programs uh, involved, but uh, to me, that's great. And I think it'll be a little emotional for Signetti, of course, uh, when you look at kind of the serious sides of things, like knowing that his former players, some of his former staff members, are on the opposing sideline. Uh, so there is there is a serious aspect to it, but uh, you know, in, a, in one of those tough weekends where you have a coach go back to face his former team, that's a, that's kind of a neat, funny story. You think he gets cheered down there? I mean, he did lead him to what two straight postseasons in his two years there. Uh, I mean. I could see where maybe a few of the fans will want to boo the guy for for jumping ship to go to another CEA program and you know the the more uh, decorated, if you will, the CEA t- the CEA programs. But at the same point, I mean, they can't ignore what he did down there. And that was, I mean, Elon was the basement of the CAA mm-hmm. before he got there. They had they'd only been to the playoffs once. He led them to their first ever back to back postseason appearances in school history. And to me. To think about how quickly he turned that program around and how he set it in the right direction, he left it way better than he found it. To me, I, I don't think they should boo the guy, uh, knowing that there is a financial difference between the job at Elon and the job at, at JMU. There's just there's no denying it. You, mm-hmm. you, you can you can tell what the, by what the coaches make and the resources that are put into it, but. For me, I, I I don't think he should be booed. He probably will be because fans are fans you know, are fans, fanatics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he probably will be by some, but probably cheered by others. Well, Greg, uh, as always, man, it's 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 not often enough that we get to see you, especially during these <laughs> these three weeks straight of road trips for you. But you know what to do. Greg's on the twitters. 
Uh, he's always getting his stuff out there. He's putting midday reads up. Reads up. He's got his field notes uh, almost every day. It seems like I'm reading more field notes. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter for the uh, any of the game, uh, the play-by-play or the game action. He doesn't do really play-by-play. He's just pointing out the important things that are happening during the game. Otherwise, he's not writing anything down if he's sitting there tweeting exactly. them out. <laughs> and uh, plus, with Flow Sports, what do you need to sit there and read play-by-play online for? Not that we have a deal. We do not have a deal with Flow Sports, by the, the way. CAA. The CAA has a deal. Yeah, the CAA does. Uh, but Greg, as always, thanks for joining us, and you be safe getting down the E-line and coming back. All right, sounds good. Thanks. Well, that was Greg Medea, as always. It's a pleasure having him on, talking JMU football and uh, bringing up the rear uh, for one of the few times, very rare, that Cody brings up the rear. Uh, Cody Elliott, preps writer here at the Daily News Record. Cody, how are you this week? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing okay, and... uh, you know, usually you and I, we sit here, we break down the upcoming games, but I think we'll save that for the webcast, which will come out on uh, Thursday. I think what we really need to talk about this week is just that uh, really just a fantastic high school football game last Friday over in Bridgewater. Uh, Stanton uh, against a previously undefeated Turner Ashby. Stanton needs overtime to beat TA 28-27. Uh, missed field goal, the difference there in that first overtime, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, what 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 a game. I mean, was it as much, much fun to watch online as it was there in person? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was one of the better games um, I've covered in a while, and I think definitely the game, the best game I've seen in person this year. Um, you know, I, honestly, from from start to finish, Stanton probably, you know, they deserved to win that game. I thought they, they outplayed TA for most of the night. Um, they looked like the better team for most of the game. Uh, and three minutes left in the in regulation, T.A. gets the ball back. They're down a touchdown, and, and C.J. Haskins takes some 80 yards down the field, um, hits Nico uh, Valet, which I found out was Valet last it's week. It's Valet, yes, okay. Yes, it is. I did okay. find that out at the game. Um, hits Nico Valet uh, for a touchdown, one of the better uh, grabs I've seen this year, really a great play um, to even it up. And at that moment, it kind of felt like, okay, T.A.'s going to take this game. They're going to kind of – Get out of here with a win and, and and avoid that that upset and and that letdown. Um, and then the first, you know they they in the overtime rules they have each team goes from the ten and and Stanton scores first. Um, but then they come right back and and Grant Swinehart scores. Um, then obviously missed extra point ends up being the difference. But it it kind of felt like you know if TA would have won that game, it kind of felt like they would have kind of stole one there. Um, I, I thought Stan outplayed him from start to finish. Um, and I, actually I said um, to another guy in the press box in that overtime period, I thought that, you know, I, I would have kind of maybe went for it uh, with Grant Swinehart, the, the way he was running the ball. Um, I kind of thought that maybe Chris Frazier might have uh, went for it there and just tried to get out of there and get out of there with a win. Um, and instead they opted to kick, which I think was still not a not a terrible decision. Their kicker's been great all year. Um, you know, just happened to go a little left, and it was it was Stan's night. Now, Chris Frazier with some Frazier with some, with some good quotes after this game. You know, basically saying you know it, it's you know we got to make sure it doesn't go back to the way it was. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for them is not not having that letdown and not not kind of falling into this, this, the trap of some of the same stuff that has hurt them in past years where, you know, Grant Swinehart and some of those guys talked to me in the preseason about, you know, in previous years they'd shown flashes where they were a good team and then all of a sudden one bad thing would kind of derail them a little bit um, and it would just kind of spiral from there. And I think that's what they're trying to avoid now. I think we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this TA team. I think, you know, they have a bye this week. I think next week the way they come out against Wilson Memorial, another team that I feel like they should beat, um, 
it'll tell us a lot about this team and kind of what they're capable of, you know, whether they come out and kind of let that loss, you know, still linger around and, and affect their play or whether they come out strong and kind of make a statement. Outside looking in, from my standpoint, I, I, th- I think this bye couldn't come at a crappier time because I would like to see how they respond right away. I don't, you know, I, I'm sure they got some bumps and bruises. They got to heal. I'm sure they want to go over some stuff. But at the same point, I would have liked, if I'm a TA fan and or a TA player, I would like to jump right back into uh, you know the next week and just you know respond right away. I don't know what that extra week off if that's good or bad for them at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think that you know the, the one thing you got to worry about is is if if they did play this week, I think you have a better opportunity to kind of get that loss out of your mind quickly. You have a couple of days to kind of regroup. You go back out and play, and then if you play well, you all of a sudden that loss is you know in the back of your mind. Um, instead, they've got this whole extra week. They probably aren't practicing as much as they usually do. You know, it's a bye week for a reason. Um, you got to just wonder if that loss maybe does kind of linger around a little bit more because they do have a, a couple extra days there to let it just sit instead of being able to kind of go out the next Friday and get their minds off of it. Uh, speaking of buys, coming off the buy is uh, Broadway, who got a buy at a good time. Uh, when you're owing, what are they owing three? Owing three. Yeah. When you're owing three, you, you're kind of looking forward to that week off before things get a little too heady for you. Uh, they host uh, Buffalo Gap on Friday, who uh, a Buffalo Gap team that just, I mean, for lack of a better word, just got abused by East Rockingham uh, for East Rockingham's first win of the year down in Swope this past Friday. I mean, I think it's a different story for Broadway. I think. They're kind of champing at the bit maybe to get back out there because I'm sure they've been working. Well, I mean, Danny Graw basically said they're gonna. This is gonna be a me week. Mm. We're gonna figure out what's wrong with us and not worry about them. So, what are you expecting out of the out of uh, the Gobblers Friday? Well, I think you're gonna see. Hopefully, what you. I mean, if you're a Broadway fan and a Broadway coach, what you want to see is is a team that's maybe a little hungry. Um, you know, I don't think anybody expected that inside that program with all the excitement that they talked about before the year and all the way they're changing the culture there. I don't think anyone expected them to be sitting at 0-3 coming off this bye. Um, so I think, you know, it, there's a possibility that Caleb Williams is back. Uh, Danny, Danny has kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, in previous weeks about this week after the bye was hopefully what they were hoping to get him back at the quarterback spot after that ACL tear in the offseason. Um, so having him back, I think, would make an, a huge difference for that offense. Not that Cole Hoover hasn't done a, a done a solid job, but, you know, it is a senior guy, one of the better athletes in the school. I think he makes a huge difference for them. Um, also, just looking at this matchup, I think it's a good opportunity for them. They've played some, some quality football teams through the first few weeks. Um, Flavana County, you know, as a, a playoff team. Central's a playoff team. Um, Skyline was the one that was maybe a little bit disappointing. But then now I think, you know, when you look at Buffalo Gap, their record's a little deceiving in its own. They've, they've got two wins, but they, they were both over two teams that are that are struggling pretty pretty bad in, in Craig County and Bath County. Um, so, you know, we saw them last week against East Rock. East Rock just, you know, pounded it, you know, from the start. They just had all kinds of success in the run game, and that, that seems like what Broadway would want to do if they're going to be successful. That's something they've struggled with so far this year. Their run game has not got going at all. Um, you know, they rank last in the Valley District right now as a team in, in rushing yards. They just haven't been able to get that going, which was not what we thought we would see out of Broadway coming into the year. Yeah. So I think that's what you're going to want to see. You want to see Broadway kind of get back to its roots, um, maybe establish a little bit of an identity offensively there because so far they haven't really been able to do that. And, and hang on to the ball a little better is, yeah. is obvious. Yeah. What, 12 turnovers? 12 through, turnovers three in three weeks? games, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not going to win. Well, we, we've harped on that enough, but that's not going to win you any ball games. Uh, going, another team going into the bye is uh, Harrisonburg. Uh, and here's a team that looked like they were kind of happy going into the bye at 2-2. Two two. They started off 0-2. 
didn't look that great. Uh, Coach Chris Thurman makes what will now will be now known as the switch, and that was putting Quentin Smiley, quarterback, out in the flat and running him out of a shot, run him out of a wildcat and putting him out as a wide receiver and bringing in uh, Keenan Glago. Glago, we don't think we got the proper pronunciation of that yet. That's uh, all we're journalists in the radio, guys. <laughs> a, a sophomore quarterback who uh, threw three touchdown passes in a 31-13 win over Elmar on Friday. He looks like uh, the future. Yeah, I mean, it clearly is a move that needed to be made. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't really know anything about Keenum before he came onto the field. I know I didn't, um, and and it's it's paid off. I mean, you know, long term, you still got questions about this team and, and what they can do uh, because there is so much youth on that roster. But I think you know what Chris Thurman has made clear is that this is the best move for them if they're going to have any chance of being successful. This is their best opportunity to win games and. Um, you know, I just think, you know, they've got a tough task next week. They've got Sharando next week, um, which we know how, how good Sharando is and, and what they've done to Valley District teams over the past few years. So that's that's going to be a tough task, and it would be tough for anybody. But uh, the biggest thing for them now is, is like we talk about with Broadway and, and some of these other teams in East Rock last week, you know, just getting that first win is, a, is such a big deal and, and building that confidence. And now that they've got back-to-back wins, you know, I think you see a little bit of a, a little bit of a different team. I'm, I'm sure you saw – a little bit of a different team than what I saw the previous week when they had won their first game. I'm sure Friday night after that that second win in a row, um, you saw you know a little bit more pep in their step, um, and and I think that's the biggest thing for them is you know as they get ready, you know they got one more week and then Valley District play. I think the biggest thing now is they go in with at least, even if it's just two wins, you know they've seen what it takes and. and what they're capable of when they can kind of put it all together. And uh, East Rock, uh, which got their first win, is heading up to Berryville to face a Clark County team that's coming off a loss. Yeah, that's a tough, tough, uh, tough test for East Rock. I mean, man, their schedule here to start off the season. I mean, outside Brutal. of the Buffalo Gap last week, now they've they've got another team that we had in our top three or four there in the Shen Valley Seven. So, um, you know, Clark coming off that loss to draft, I think they're going to be hungry. Um, you know, East Rock struggled to stop the run against Riverheads. Um, they did a much better job last week against Buffalo Gap. They've got a big test there with with Clark County. They've got some some big running backs, and I can't think of the the senior's name right now. But they've got a, a guy who's got four thousand yards for his career. So um, they're going to have to have to step up defensively. There, you, you know, they haven't played particularly well on that side of the ball here early. Um, they're going to definitely have to improve in that area uh, on Friday night in order to stop Clark County. And our only other city-county game is uh, Friday is uh, Spotswood hosting Wilson Memorial. Yeah, I mean, you know, as much as I have said that Wilson, I think, is is kind of a, a fringe playoff team there a little bit and, and kind of on the bubble, I guess you could say, um, I, I just don't – I think they're a little overmatched in this one. Uh, you know, Spotswood right now uh, – the, the, the scary part about Spotswood right now is they haven't even showed off everything they've got. You know, we saw the one game where Ryan High threw it to Rob, and other, ever since then – um, Ethan Barnard's been just, you know, stealing all the storylines and for good reason with a thousand, know, a thousand yards. yards in four games. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, and when you look at some of those, the, some of the quotes from Dale last week after that win, he kind of said, you know, we want to get more to where we are, you know, multidimensional, doing more things offensively. And I think that's, you know, he knows in the long term picture, um, they're not going to be able to just run behind Ethan every game. They're going to have to eventually have the passing game going. Um, the good news is for them, they've got Ryan High and Rob Smith and those guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've they've looked every bit the part of the, the best team in the area so far this season. I don't think anybody can argue that right now. 
does Stonewall Jackson get its first win Friday? I believe they do. Yeah. I believe they do. They, Rappahannock County. They host Rappahannock. Co- I believe they do. Cody, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm speaking closer to the mic, and it sounds like an NPR show right now. And I, and I, I you know, you had some some viewers, some listeners, uh, kind of wondering why you kept picking them. But I think this week might be the week where where you, you yes. look. You look smart for this one. (laughs) I will look like a genius, finally. Don't let me down, generals. Uh, Cody will be at Broadway uh, Friday, so you follow him as at Cody underscore DNR Sports. Shane Metlin will be at spot, becoming our spots with Beat Rider. Third week in a row, Shane Metlin's got the Trailblazers, and they host Wilson Memorial, and our friends up at Winchester uh, Star Sports will be taking care of the East Rock at Clark County game for us. So you all can follow along on Twitter, hashtag DNRFB. Cody, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week, man. Yep.